Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Promise Center's weekly podcast. We hope that this message blesses you and encourages you to take your next step in following Jesus. As always, feel free to check us out at www.thepromisecenter.com for more information on our church, what we're doing to make a difference in Sonoma County, and how you can partner with us. God bless, and enjoy this week's message. I'm so glad we get to celebrate all you women today, all you fabulous mothers, and even if you don't have children, uh, you know, it's so beautiful to see you mother people in the Lord, and just pour your life out, and I, I think it's a beautiful thing to get to celebrate all the moms, and I know it can be a difficult day for so many that maybe weren't able to have children, or you had a difficult relationship with your mother, but I really do believe that today, um, God can do a, a great work of healing and restoring. And so that's just the kind of God we serve, and we come with expectation today. And um, just so thrilled that we get to hear three people this morning, not just me. Um, I thought it would be great to get to hear from some of the moms in the house. And um, so, so excited. The first mama we want to welcome is Miss Sue Farron. Would you all give her some promise in her love? I love this lady. She's also my neighbor. I love her. Good morning, Promise Center. Thank you for indulging us this morning. Um, you're going to get to hear from three of us. It's such a gift to be able to even come up here and speak to you. It's such a, a humbling experience. And everyone has their own message. And today I want to speak just about grace. And I want to speak about grace as it applies to my life and how it applies to me as a mom. And, you know, we think about Mother's Day, but really this is about daughters too, right? Because everybody in the room. Anyone raise your hand if, you're, if you had a mom? Raise your hand. Good and right audience for me to speak to. I want to tell you how I ended up at the Promise Center first and foremost, and I'm going to try to loop around a little bit. But uh, I know it's been two years because um, two years ago, my girlfriend Terry Bartlett invited me to come here. It's actually just been a, about uh, two years and a month and a half maybe. And um, I came in and I met for the first time Pastor Chad and Heidi and was like, wow, there's something different in this house, isn't there? There's, some, there's authenticity and love and I had been going to another church for several years and felt kind of invisible and anonymous. And um, after my first time coming here, shortly thereafter, I urinated blood and found out I had kidney cancer. And um, just a couple of weeks after that, I was scheduled for surgery. And initially, the diagnosis was terminal. Um, it was in my kidney and my liver, and they believed in my colon. So I had um, a one-year diagnosis to have my liver resected, my kidney taken out. And a couple of weeks later, I came in here still visiting. I was still at my main church, um, still visiting. I was going in for surgery on Monday. And when I walked in here, I, you know, I'd been to my first church, and I'd been there for several years, and they knew what was going on with me, but nothing was said, and that's okay. I mean, that's just the way it was. But true to the heart of this church, I came in that Sunday morning, and Pastor Chad had maybe met me one time, but he'd heard what was going on, and he'd asked if he could bring me up, and he'd gone on Facebook and gotten a photo of me and my kids and had me come front, and the entire congregation laid hands on me and prayed for me. That's the heart of this church, right? That's the heart of this church. I do want to say, obviously, it was two years ago, and they gave me a year to live, so I, the good news is I'm not dead. So, um, and you're, yeah. So the good news is I'm still here. And what we discovered, and this is truly what happened, is I had gone in for my initial test and they had seen uh, what they believed was cancer in my liver. They'd followed me up with a, a second scan. And as I was going in for my scan, I asked the um, guy that was walking me back to the test if he would pray for me. I said, do you believe in God? And he said, yes, I do. I said, would you pray for me? They found something in my liver and he prayed for me. And then we went in to have my scan done and I asked the radiology tech, would you, would you pray for me? And he goes, oh yeah, I go to Hessel Church, I'll pray for you. And he got the woman over there and they came over and prayed for me. And I mean, telling me there are no atheists in foxholes, right? You hear what I'm saying? So when you think you're gonna die, everybody's praying. And uh, they got me out of that scan, and although I lived with the idea that I was terminal for about 36 hours when the scan came back, they said, this is weird. You don't have cancer in your liver, you have a birthmark. <laughs> Coincidence? I think not. So, okay, I want to talk a little bit about grace and how it relates to me as a mom. I am a mom of five. I have a 15, 17, 19, 21, 23-year-olds, homeschooled all those babies. 
And uh, I've got, my oldest is a senior at UCLA. He graduates in about three weeks. Uh, my daughter is a super senior at Berkeley. I've got a 19-year-old who's trying to get into film school and two um, high school-age boys that are going to the JC with me as homeschool kids. And if you see me and you look at me and you meet me, you know, the first impression might be that, well, clearly, you know, me and Christy Brinkley have a lot in common. But the other thing is that we, you look at somebody and you make an assumption about them, don't you? I mean, let's just talk, I'm talking to the women here for a second. My son's super embarrassed. He's got his head in his hands over there. I think that was terribly funny. Um, and I want to just talk to the women here for a second because we make judgments. We make judgments. We look at each other. We assess each other on our height, our weight, our hair color, our clothing, how, we, how together we think somebody is, and we make a judgment. And you're only wrong about 100% of the time. So the good news is, and here's the thing, and I want to say this speci specifically to the ladies, that, you know, we're so busy looking at each other and making assumptions, but that is not the story that's happening inside, is it? Isn't that story inside of you a whole lot more terrifying and a whole lot more fear-based? And I want to know, I want you to know, the reason I'm speaking on grace this morning is because I need it, I got it, I give it. So I'm going to give you a really short story about me here that I am a woman who was raised by two alcoholics, very nice people, but terribly, terribly sick people. So I've been an adult since I was about seven years old. My father left when, he, when I was 16, um, and then in my senior year of high school, my high school boyfriend was killed in a car crash, and my mom died unexpectedly five months later. So by 17, I was hopping on sofas from friend from friend. I was sleeping in my car. I was doing whatever I had to do to get by. And... You know, I had a desire, like most of us who grew up in alcoholic households, to do something to give back, so I became a paramedic. And I had been a paramedic less than six months when my boyfriend was killed in a motorcycle accident. And so I will tell you that I was not an atheist. I was an angry agnostic. I was pissed because I thought, there can't be a God. What kind of a God allows a girl to go through stuff like that, right? I mean, come on. And this whole time, I would hear from Christians. Christians would talk to me, and I used to think to myself, get away from me. And I, I didn't say this in the first service, but I want to share this with you. Here's an example of what happened. When my boyfriend was killed when I was a paramedic in Oakland, I was on duty. And they shut my ambulance down, and they drove me up here. My partner drove me up here to Memorial Hospital, where they had kept him alive on life support in the ER until I arrived. And... After they pronounced him, I got a blinding migraine and began to throw up. It never happened before, but that was my experience. And the nurse who was holding my head over the toilet, and I'm laying there, you know, in my paramedic uniform, and she says, Jesus didn't do this to hurt you. He loves you. And I thought, if I could stand up, I would punch you in the face. Because <laughs> nobody wants to hear that right then. I'm just saying. Okay, so there's your little life lesson. But... I'll be honest, God had been pursuing me my whole life, and I didn't even know it. And I say this to you from this vantage point, that as a young woman, I had a very traumatic upbringing and, and young adult life. And I didn't get saved, as I call it. I heard one of my Messianic Jewish friends say, someone asked him, when did you get saved? And he said, when Jesus died on the cross. I love that answer. I had a personal experience with Christ in my living room. No Christian friends, no Bible, no church. And God spoke to me and said, I love you just the way you are. And I heard that when I was 30 years old, and it transformed everything for me. Now, I tell you that because on Mother's Day, we're talking about being moms. And I'm telling you that I am the last person who was qualified to be a mother of five children, a homeschool mother at that. But I'm going to tell you what I did do for my kids as I prayed over them each and every day, I said, God, please make them men and women of noble character, leaders of nations. And I asked him to fill in the gaps where I was deficient because I was deficient. So whatever you assume by looking at me, you're wrong. I am deficient. I am deficient as a homeschool mom. I'm deficient in a lot of other ways. But God has come in through the cracks of my life and he has filled me and he made me more capable than I could ever been any other way. And if it hadn't been for that experience in my life and for this relationship that I'm having with him, I would not have the kids I have today. So I just want to say, when you're judging yourself as a parent, as a father, as a mother, uh, as a sister, as a brother, as a friend, you know, you don't have to worry about that. You don't really have to worry about that. Because one of my friends asked me, they said, 
How did you go from being a paramedic in West Oakland, this very hardened, angry, agnostic girl, to this Christian woman who loves her kids and does all this stuff? How do you do that? And I said, you don't do that. God does that. You invite him in, and he changes you from the inside out. And she said, you mean it's like a self-cleaning oven? And I said, that's exactly what it's like. So I am not traditional. You know, I never felt like I fit in when there were, you know, women's groups and scrapbook groups. You don't find people like me hanging out in flower stores, you know. I'm super handy in a car crash, but, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not the girl you find in the traditional area. And I say that because there are a lot of women who feel like maybe sitting here today, you walk in and there's all these pretty faces and pretty people, you know, pretty people, pretty promises. And you may be feeling on the inside like, well, not me. Not me on the inside. You know, I'm just getting dressed up and putting on my lipstick and saying hallelujah, but the truth is on the inside I feel totally unqualified. Welcome to the island, girlfriend. Okay? I'm unqualified, and God's using me anyway. Because what what's that great saying? It says, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Right? His brokenness. I mean, my brokenness, his power. So one of the things that I wanted to share with you is that um, as an example of what it's like to have children for me as a mom, one of the areas where I really felt like I excelled was in, in apologies, not apologetics, apologies. And so I knew that I was really an unqualified mom. Like I said, you know, being a paramedic, there were no sharp things in our house. And my kids never had a trampoline because trampolines cause accidents and broken bones. And mommies don't allow that when they're paramedics. So the key to this whole thing for me was being able to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And my kids were always able to ask for forgiveness as well. And what I realized is that when you haven't been forgiven, you can't give forgiveness, and you also can't receive forgiveness. And so to be able to apologize and tell my kids I'm doing the best I can is really the best we can ever do, right? That's truth as a husband, as a wife, as a child. We're all just doing the best we can, really, truly. And so two things that come to mind when I talk about my kids, and these are lessons I've learned from my children. Number one, I said to my 14-year-old son, who's now 23 and owns his own business in Los Angeles making music videos, how did that happen? Thank you, Jesus. Um, I remember saying to him when he was 14, I said, Benjamin, give me a break. I've never had a 14-year-old boy before. And he said, Mom, give me a break. I've never been a 14-year-old boy before. <laughs> eh? And number two was my son, Roman who uh, a friend of mine was looking at a yearbook photo of me in high school, and she said, oh, you were beautiful. And I laughed, and I said, I was never beautiful. And my eight-year-old son walked up and put his arms around my belly, and he said, Mommy, don't ever tell anyone you're not beautiful. If you don't think you are, neither will they. Do you hear that message? It's not what the society is saying about you. It's what you're saying to yourself. Change that voice right now. You're in charge. Don't let that thing drive you. And then the last thing I want to offer is this. You know, it's, uh, I've heard people say that when we get to heaven, God's not going to look us over for accomplishments and awards. He's going to look us over for scars. I win. <laughs> All right, that's it. Thank you for letting me have some time with you. Our next mom is a wonderful, beautiful woman I've known since she was a young woman, and this is Michelle Silvashi Brown. Give it up, give it up. Good morning, good morning. Can I be pretty vulnerable with you guys this morning? Is that okay? Yes? Okay, good. Thank you so much. So Jackson, he's our boy, he's our youngest. He had been throwing up all night long, but this was the third time he had been throwing up in less than a month. Our daughter the week before had been throwing up for days on end. See, the evil, no good, 10 extra loads of laundry producing stomach flu had taken over our house. Again, to say that we were exhausted was an understatement. So right before church, um, I had to cancel with a really good friend coming to visit. See, she lives five hours away, so trips are kind of a big deal. They take a lot of work and effort for us to, to make it happen. This was the third time in less than a year in a row that we had had to cancel a visit. It was really rough on me. I was crushed. I had just told my handsome husband the night before how much I needed this, how much I needed to be with somebody that I knew really well and they knew me really well, right? That we got each other, that there was depth of relationship, that it was easy and fun. 
and I needed to share space with that person. See, my husband and I had just moved back to Sonoma County after being gone for over 10 years, and we had only been here for about six or eight months at that time. We were very much in the getting to know you phases, building relationships. So as I was checking in that Sunday for service to serve, I became painfully aware of how lonely I really was. I was ashamed that I couldn't shake it. I was emotionally a mess and physically a mess, and I was just longing for true connection at that point. And that's when she walked by, and she said to me, are you okay? And I remember in that moment, I had a choice. I could either be vulnerable or not. And I remember thinking, this is a divine moment. See, I'd secretly, not so secretly now, because you guys all know, been praying that God was going to take us to the next level in our friendship, but I still had a choice. And right then, that's when all of the lies of the evil one began to set in. Girl, you can't tell her that you are feeling lonely. That's pathetic. You're a loser. You need to suck it up and deal with it. Put on your big girl pants. You are fine. And then, boom, I felt this rush of the Holy Spirit. It was like he, like, kicked all of those lies to the side, and he said, here, here is courage to be vulnerable. Finally, I had the courage to say what my heart had been feeling for months at this point, but I had yet been able to confess with my mouth. So I turned to her and I said, no, I'm not okay. I'm so lonely. Right then, it was like this blanket, this weight had been taken off of my shoulders. The loneliness was still very much there, but I felt a freedom. The value for authentic relationships is clear in Scripture. It is all over. You open the Bible and you see authentic relationships everywhere. But to name a few Scriptures, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians. If you fall and your friend is nearby, they can help you up. But if you fall without having a friend nearby, you're in real big trouble. Ecclesiastes. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Romans. Friends, we can't do any of these things. We can't live in authentic relationships or live authentically without being vulnerable. And that's what I want to talk about, how vulnerability is courageous and it is contagious. Turn to your neighbor, courageous and contagious. See, I cannot carry your burdens with you if I have no clue what your burden is, vulnerability, right? And I cannot help you up when you fall down if I didn't even know you fell or you won't let me get close enough to touch you. And there is no way you are going to rejoice with me and mourn with me if I keep you at a distance and on the surface level. Vulnerability. Vulnerability is the way of Christ. And it should be the way of the church. Amen? Now we get messages every single day that tell us that vulnerability is weakness. But here's the thing. It is not. It is bold. It is life-changing. It is courageous. Sure. We're opening up ourselves to potential judgment and ridicule and criticism. I get it. Vulnerability can feel risky. But self and self-preservation is far easier. But here's the thing. It's a lot less rewarding when we do it. When we keep everything inside, we're trapped. But when we let ourselves, our true selves, be known by other people, we then get to enter into life-giving, life-altering life-transforming relationships, the kind that God has ordained for us from the beginning of time. I've had the privilege of meeting up with some amazing mamas for a few months with a, a group of mamas of preschoolers. We've met every, every week to talk and to pray. And it's been a place where I really feel like we've lived this out. The vulnerability is courageous and it is contagious. We share honestly and openly about the things that are on our heart, the things that we are struggling with, the things we are experiencing, but we don't just stop there because we push each other back to Jesus, back to the truth of who he is and who we are in him. We don't let each other stay where we're at. Now, the world would say to us, it is risky to say things like, man, I struggle with yelling at my kids sometimes, or I feel like a horrible mama and I can't shake it. But you know what? I think it's riskier for us as Christians to not be vulnerable. Because that's the thing. That's how Satan likes us. He likes us trapped. Trapped in our sin, in our brokenness, in our shame, feeling like we're the only ones, feeling like we're never going to get out. He likes us when we're trapped in bondage. That's where he, he likes us to stay. And that's why vulnerability takes courage. It's courageous to say, here is who I really am. Here's the thing that's really going on in my life. And I need you and you and you. And I need your help. I need your faith. I need your prayers. I need your story and your experiences to pull me up out of the darkness. 
Now, let me be clear in saying I'm not telling you need to tell everybody your whole life story. That's called discernment. Not everybody needs to know all your business. But what I am saying is that each of us, both females and males, we need to have people in our lives that we can be courageously vulnerable with and on the regular. People that we know that are going to push us back to Jesus and that are going to say the things that we need to hear, not fill us with the things we want to hear. Our willingness to be vulnerable invites others to then be vulnerable with us. This is the contagious part, right? It's courageous and it's contagious. When we're able to admit our imperfections and to share our stories, we are more likely to be people that are compassionate, empathetic, loving, and kind. And those are the characteristics of Christ. And those are the characteristics that this world is desperate for. This is what the world wants. Do you guys remember the friend that I was telling you about a little bit ago? How I told her I was lonely? Awesome, right? Um, she decided to run through the church that morning screaming on the top of her lungs, emotional leper, emotional leper. You guys are all like, oh my gosh, right? Yeah, this is not what you do, okay? So when someone's vulnerable with you, you do not yell emotional leper, right? The, the mental note, turn to your neighbor and say, don't do that. Yeah, you do not do that. That's just a mess mess, like my niece would say. You, do, you don't do that. Um, Instead, you do what she did. She looked at me with compassion in her eyes, and she said, I get it. Being a mama is hard. It is lonely, and you're exhausted, and it is okay. It's hard being the new girl. I get it. And I remember in that moment, I did not feel crazy. I felt like somebody actually got what I was experiencing. I didn't feel so alone. She and I were talking the other day about how that moment actually did something in our friendship that that it changed the, the status or the expectation of our relationship. Because I was willing to go vulnerable with her, she has become vulnerable with me. And that's the marker of our friendship. Vulnerability, authenticity, transparency, and pushing each other back to Jesus. I am so grateful that we went there that day. I'm grateful the Holy, for the Holy Spirit's courage to go there with her. I once read that God wants us to share our stories and our challenges with honesty and vulnerability because others find themselves in our stories. And then they find him, capital H, him. And that's what we want as believers, amen? We want people to come to know Jesus, the one that can set us free, who will heal us, will meet us in our junk. Imagine if more of us as believers would start taking off the masks. Stop pretending that we're somebody that we're not. Being real about our struggles, being real about the stories from our past, letting people in to know us, who we really are. I think not only would we find freedom from those things, but then our stories, our experiences, we would be able to go to other people and call forth freedom in their lives because we ourselves have experienced it. And then we can point them back to Jesus, the one that has set us free. Amen? I realize that every stage of my life, I feel like God has said, I want you to go deeper. I want you to go deeper in vulnerability and realness, Michelle. When I was single, I struggled a lot with finding my value and self-worth in a church where only married women seemed to be valued. And then I got to marry my handsome husband, and I like him a lot. Um, and we, we learned what it meant to, to, to bridge, uh, we used to blend our lives as a male and a female, but not just that, as a black male and a white female in a very racialized society. We struggled with that and figuring out what that meant. And then wrestling with God's goodness when he took our unborn daughter in the beginning of our second trimester. And then being obedient to God, leaving a ministry of a decade and a half that had been my baby without God giving me any clear direction of what I was supposed to do next other than to go. You're done. The season is over. And then the last couple of years and the last two years, really wrestling with what it looks like to follow Jesus and to live a life full with having lost my daddy to cancer. It rocked my world. But becoming a mama, man, you guys, becoming a mama has been the thing that has taken this whole like vulnerability thing to, a next, to the next level. I feel like I cannot fake it until I make it. See me at the grocery store, I cannot fake it until I make it when those kids act a fool, right? Like I, I can't pretend, <laughs> there's a, yeah, you know, whatever, I'm not gonna go there. But you know what I mean? Like I can't hide anymore. There's no fronting. This is who I am. And I think that's what God has been inviting me, us to, from the beginning of time, to be real. 
to be vulnerable, to be authentic, so that others can then know Jesus as the one that heals and redeems and restores in our lives. He is a good God. So maybe you're not like me. Maybe you're not looking like you've got it together but feeling really lonely inside. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you're lying or you've got some lust issues you've got to deal with. Maybe it's gossip or pride or anger. Maybe you're feeling trapped in depression or anxiety. Maybe it is loneliness. Maybe you're grieving in the face of infertility or of loss. Maybe, you feel, maybe you're angry that God has not answered some prayers that you knew he was going to answer. Maybe it's something from your past you just can't shake. Or you're afraid of your future. I, I don't know. I have no idea what your thing is. I don't. But what I do know is that when we choose to be people that are courageously vulnerable, God will meet us on the other side. He will meet us on the other side. Vulnerability is the way of the church, and I also believe that it is his invitation to us as the church so that others might come to know him as Lord and Savior. It's courageous, and it will be contagious. So I want to leave you with this question or this challenge then. Where will you or how will you be courageously vulnerable in this next week? With whom and with what? Because I fully believe that our God will meet you on the other side of your vulnerability. Now I would love to introduce you to Miss Christine Harris. She's awesome. You'll love her. Okay, so I thought I'd be really clever and get the bottle cap off the water before I got out here and get the tape going and, well, here I am. A little of this, a little of that. Hi, loved ones. Yep, there we go. Yeah, yeah, all the great things. I am so grateful to be here. And uh, this is my home, as you know. If you ever look for a girl like me, you can find me every Sunday right here serving the Lord. That was not always my story. Before I get into that, I just want to thank Pastor Heidi and Pastor King for extending love and grace through all these years to watch me come in as a hot mess and just have loved me through so many different seasons. And we know that there are hundreds of stories of motherhood within the Promise Center family, women that are qualified uh, to stand up here. But for such a season, Sue, Michelle, and I were chosen. And I believe that there's something in our stories that are designed specifically for you. And I just pray that God use the words, use the experience, and fall fresh on you and ignite you and let you know that there isn't anything he won't do to call those up out of whatever we put ourselves into with choices. He's going to use it all. It's kind of it's kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing. So, where's my son-in-law? Oh, there they are. Hello, family. All right. All right. Just wanted to check in. So, I'd like to qualify uh, what it was like as a young mother before I had an appointment with Jesus. As a teenager, I was 17 years old, and I rebelled against my father and my teaching. And as a result of that, I was removed from my mother and my father and my siblings. I was the oldest. So already I had a shot collar mentality. But I was taken out of a really safe environment. And I was placed in a home for unwed mothers in San Francisco where women who worked the streets and women who were in prison were sent to, to deliver unwanted babies. And then they returned to either their sentence in prison or their life on the streets. It was an institution. I went in looking like Rebecca from Sunnybrook Farm. I was handshaking and helloing everybody, and it quickly turned into an institutional experience where there were women who did not come from the same background that I had. 
I looked different, I sounded different, and I acted different. I was a young, pregnant woman. And there were so many events that happened swiftly, being removed from my home, being placed into an institute, a group home with a bunch of young women that were scared and hostile. I experienced every day violence against me. There wasn't a, anything could be used as a weapon. Brooms, cooking ware, pots, anything could be used as a weapon in such an institution. And I began to hide. I'd like to tell you I was a soldier, but I hid. I hid because I was a young, a young girl and I had a baby growing inside of me. I did not identify, there wasn't anything that went from here to here other than just a maternal nudge. So I'd find myself hiding in closets. I couldn't even cry because I was afraid that they'd hear me. But I was able to make myself really, really small. But it was in the closets that I began to hear Jesus say, this child is yours. And I was like, I don't even want to, I didn't even care about a heartbeat or noise or light. It was in 1975. They weren't teaching that a child could hear everything that went on in your womb. They weren't teaching that the child can hear your voice. So what was happening is that I was weeping. I had adrenaline running through my body. And I I didn't know how to cope. But I remember that I was given this little prayer. It was so simple. Boy, I can pray really complicated prayers now. You should hear me. But this was a really simple prayer. Father, I pray that she'll be loved by one man. And that she would know how to love him. Father, I pray that she never terminates a child, that she will have children, and that she'll never be afraid. Father, I pray that she will have a skill so that she'll never be displaced or poor. Hard times, you get used to them. But as I continue to pray that prayer for a child, Jesus was creating a tenderness in me. You see, the environment was creating a hardness in me. And that tension between hard and tenderness would riddle my life, would cause me great agony. And still today, I struggle with it at times. When she was born, she was so serious looking. She was bald like a little monk. She had big, dark eyes that batted. And she, would look, she looked wise, scary wise. You know, like, ooh, she, oh. Like she had peeped the game. Like she knew that she was born into something unique. As if she knew I had done my best to protect her. Oh, I taught her, I tended to her, I encouraged and I explored with and for her. I ran in prestigious educated circles. I was striving for a master's degree and I took her everywhere. She was my mini me. If I had a funny haircut, she rocked a funny haircut. If I had a perm, she had a perm. She was my mini me, but yet she was always so grown always really operating at a level. When she would bring me dreams as a little girl, I would go, huh, deep, okay. You know, I, I was ill-equipped, but God gave her everything that she needed for me. Crazy. So she was exposed to a lot of um, affluent people, and she was known by them. And they knew her. They would call her by name. 
But she also saw some things behind closed doors that would sear her mind and her little heart forever. I worked really hard to keep my pain and my disappointment and anger away from her. But as we know, it seeps into everything. I did not trust anyone, you see. I had bought the lie, told the lie, and then lived the lie. <laughs> and the lie, and it was simple, that I was broken and that I would never, ever be healed. That I was a cold piece of work. That no man, no child or beast could step up to me. That I'd sooner slay you than deal with you. I vowed that I would never love or be loved. And yet, <laughs> it was the love of a daughter who watched my life rise and fall on my good thinking, my pain, and my distorted thoughts. She considered me a wounded soldier and her mother. It was then in her fear of my life that as a wife and a mother, she began to pray for me. You see, I had taught her how to pray when she was afraid. I had taught her childhood songs about Jesus. She had known clearly, because that's what we do as mothers, is we testify clearly that God had answered every prayer that I prayed for her as a young girl hiding in the closet. For she loved only one man, my son-in-law, Forrest, for 26 years. He has been my son-in-law. One man. She's had two daughters, Loretta and Odessa. And yes, she's had moments of fear, but never the fear that I experienced and I'm so glad that God thought enough of a little girl's prayer to take care of a grown woman. Don't ever think that those prayers in passing are not being listed and worked on and going to be delivered. It's an amazing gift what God gives us. So, she knew intuitively, like I did as a mother in the closet, she knew intuitively that she needed to go right to the source. And so both her and my son-in-law lost sleepless nights wondering and worrying about where I was and what I was doing. And so it was then that they both began to pray to their mother's God. You see, I had always spoke to them about God and they knew that I loved God. So they went right to the source. They went right to the source and said, you need to bring your mom, our mom, back to us. I'm just going to take a little side note. Thank you, Odessa, for this. And thank you, Loretta, for this. Uh, Loretta is 12 and a half years old and Odessa is 9. And today, Loretta delivered this to me. And it says... Dear Grandma, thank you for being there for me. God brought you back to us, and I'm so glad. I love you so much. You see, she was too small to even know, but this is a testimony. This is why we're instructed in the Bible, especially in the uh, Israel nation, that we were to speak of the testimonies of what God has done in our parents and our grandparents and before us so that they know we all have testimonies up in here, what God has done for us. But we need to speak it and we need to, you know, point all glory to God so that your grandchildren will know that they, you were prayed for. So they know that their mother and their father, yes, Stephanie and Forrest are praying mothers and fathers. They've experienced that. It's great stuff. You see, God only could know the future appointment. It took the prayers of Stephanie and Forrest late at night for me to have an appointment with Jesus. You see, I was a, I was a woman at the well. I was a woman at the well 
But the well wasn't in, you know, it wasn't Jacob's well. The well was here at the Promise Center. I'm going to fly through this quickly because I, I, it's so important, though, because it's okay to talk about what it was like then, but it's so much fun to talk about what it's like now. I mean, for real. Woo. All right, so I came to the Promise Center, and I knew I was okay right away because there were people that loved the Lord like I did, that had been broken and called out of things like I did. Yes, there were the bratty church kids, like Pastor likes to call them, but they had a love for us too. And I said, this is it. This, I'm not going to be unusual up in here. And that's always fun, right? Because usually I was a little odd everywhere I went. So I was like, yes. And so what happened is I kept coming and raising my hands and the lyrics and the songs would just nurture something. And so when, when I had an encounter, I had a one day on a Sunday with Jesus. And he sat down with my pain and my distortion. And I told him everything that I'd ever done. And he, he gave me living waters. He gave me living waters, and all of a sudden, I didn't feel as thirsty or as desperate or as parched as when I had come in. And right there, right then, sprung up a well, sprung up a well inside of me of living waters. And I ran back to my family. I ran back to coworkers and Home Depot and Nordstrom and Target and Walmart, everybody I saw. I'd have conversations. Come see. Come see what Jesus did about a girl like me. Come here. Come on. You can come. You can go. I was bold and still am having lots of those conversations. Okay? Nobody can stop this. Because I got ignited, I was on fire, I was illuminated, and I knew what true repentance and forgiveness was. I was like, oh, there is no stopping this. Huh? <laughs> and it's all for God's glory. If you see anything in me that's redeemable or that you like, it's all because of the work that he did. Because there was no way, there was no way, because I had bought the lie that I was dirty and small and would never, ever be able to understand the gift of grace, that I could be in right standing before a holy God because of what Jesus did. I'm so glad I didn't miss that appointment. Forrest, I'm so glad that you loved me enough. And Stephanie, in your European trip, I'm so glad that you never gave up on your mom. You never, ever gave up on me. Jesus used her to instrument grace into my life. It's amazing. I'm going to wrap up, and then I'm going to give a scripture, and then we're going to turn it back to Heidi. I just have to tell you, I see most of you come and go with your families every Sunday. And when I wake up in the morning to serve a God that gave me everything by saying hello, oh, look at those shoes. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, how are you? It's legit. It's legit. It is so much in my DNA because I know that there are stories on every single one of you. And I'm like, oh, this is what God looks like on a Sunday afternoon. And I got to tell you, misters and sisters, it looks good on you. It really does. God looks really good on you. From here, I learned about small groups. I'm part of a little band of disciples that go into treatment centers, jails, and soon prisons. Praise God to speak and talk about the glory and the freedom that we can find in an amazing Jesus that produces living waters that will spring up in all of us. I'm also part of um, the blessing of being taught how to be a leader. You see, when I came in here under Pastor King, I, I, something inside of me, just like the same someone inside of me, has a little girl to pray for Stephanie in a closet, 
said, you need to quit being a shot caller and come up underneath the authority of God and the pastor. You see, I've always been a single woman. So to come up under authority of a man was so easy when I had finally met Jesus. I went, all right. I slipped up underneath it, and it has been nothing but love and tenderness. And when I've been cray-cray, I have had people who are brave enough to speak into me and admonish me gently and set me on the right correction. In closing, I don't take lightly what pastor delivers up here. I understand clearly beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's a word for me each and every Sunday I come in. I take a lot of understanding that I'm an all-in girl. I don't just spectate. I'm all in. Jesus said it, and I believe it. I want to let you know that there was a passage, I think it was written, well, I know it was written for the children of Israel, but I'm just going to go ahead and grab it. I hope that it speaks to you. God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be cleansed. From all your filthiness and all your idols, I will cleanse you. A new heart also I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take away a stony heart out of your flesh. Praise God. And I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Let us celebrate the goodness of God. Enjoy the rest of your Mother's Day. Thank you for being my family. What a powerful word. What a testimony. Amen. You know what I love is that all through these stories, all these different ladies have just shared their heart. And I love that God uses our stories. Your story is not going to be the same with my story. And we all go through these things, and I just think, God, you're so amazing. You're so amazing how you can use us in our brokenness. And uh, thinking of Mother's Day, it's probably quoted in every church all over America, Proverbs 31. And, and sometimes, I'll just be real, y'all, it is like for real, when you read through that, you think, oh, my God, how can I ever live up to that? I mean, she's like doing real estate. She's a seamstress. She's all these things. And I'm like, woo, just to get that kitchen cleaned up sometimes. My kids cook like a thousand times a day. And, and just really being enough. Enough. That was a word that the Lord gave me about three years ago. You know, I grew up in a great home. Parents were pastors. They were amazing. And, of course, no parents are perfect. I've learned that because I am one. And um, I remember feeling all these pressures to be more than enough, you know, and, and be that Proverbs 31 woman. And I, I remember I, it, I just got real with God and however your posture is in prayer, but I just laid out on the floor in a just total surrender. I was like, God, you see me. You see everything I want to be and I'm not. You see those things that have been put on me spoken over me, things that I've actually put on myself that I was never supposed to carry. And I remember just beginning to just pour my heart out to the Lord and saying, God, I am your daughter. I want to be all that you've called me to be. And I don't want to be anything that I'm not supposed to be. I want to be all that you have for me. And I think through these messages, I just keep hearing that you know, a couple things. It's okay to be vulnerable and, and just to allow the grace of God to be all over your life. And I think the, the scripture that always comes to my mind is we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. 
And what that means is when these women were declaring, you know, what God has done and what, you know, he's brought them through, I just was reminded again, it is so powerful when we tell of, of the sustaining grace of God. That we're going to go through things, but that's not the end of our story. That's not the end of our story. He's got so much more for us. And he wants us to go into deeper places, greater places. And as I laid there on that floor, y'all, in front of the Lord, I just remember just pouring my heart out. And I remember from that moment, it was like from that day forward for the last three years, it's like he just began to take off things that I wasn't supposed to carry. And he began to replace words. I remember just specific things that God would speak enough enough. You are more than enough. You are so valuable. You are so priceless to him. And I think as women and as men, this is not just a woman thing. It's a man thing to really step into our identity in Christ. The enemy, she said it, it, he wants us to be paralyzed in our mess. He wants us to be satisfied and just to stay in our dysfunction and repeat these things that maybe we've gone through as children and we've carried them into our lives and we've repeated them. I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus Christ is more than enough. He can break these things. And he's here in this house today. So if you would, I would just invite you to stand to your feet. And I just want to pray for us as a church. I'm going to pray for every man, every woman in this place. That number one, that God would use you to speak your story. Everything you've gone through, you feel like the enemy, how in the world could it be for my good? I'm telling you, it was not meant to destroy you. It was meant to set someone else free that has gone through that. And I just want to pray that empowerment, that you would walk into the fullness that God has for you, that we would step into your purpose, step into your destiny. God, I thank you so much for each person in this house, man and woman. God, I thank you that those things that were so difficult that we faced, God, you use them. You use them somehow, God, for our good. And Lord, I thank you for each woman in this house, each mother in this house, that in your sweet presence, we feel it even now rushing into this place, God, that you would heal our hearts, that we would come to you, that you are enough, that you are mother and father, you are everything we need. It is all in you. And God, I ask you in this place, restore every heart. I pray that we would say yes that we would walk into the fullness of who you called us to be. God, that you've given us joy, you've given us purpose and passion. And I pray that that would be ignited in us, in this house, right now. Let us step into who you called us to be. And I thank you, God. I thank you that you are good, that you are more than enough. I pray strength for each woman in this house. I pray strength for each man in this house. God, that you would continue to use us for your glory. And would you all just say amen? Amen, amen. Thank you guys so much for coming.